We are about to dive into a brand new teaching series and I am really excited about this. We are looking at the book of Daniel and really this comes out of, it's just God stirring our hearts, but we did Daniel and Awaken um, end of last year and so as I was meeting with the guys who were running that and we were talking and just regularly throughout the week catching up and talking about what God is saying through the book of Daniel and God did great things through Awaken and just stirring people's hearts and then uh, we went for a walk on the beach with some good friends of ours who don't yet know the Lord, but we're praying them in and believing that God's going to grab their hearts, and He will. And we're talking about some other friends of ours who were doing a fast called the Daniel Fast, or the Daniel Diet, and they were just completely confused. And they thought we were talking about Daniel-san from the Karate Kid, for those of you who know the Karate Kid. And it was this hilarious moment where, like, yeah, the Daniel Diet, you know, it's really like God's going to do good stuff. And they were just going what the heck is a Daniel diet? And so then I had this great opportunity on the beach to just start talking about the book of Daniel and talking about who Daniel was and where Daniel came from and what this whole diet was all about. And uh, effectively, it's veganism. And one of these guys is already a vegan. So his wife was like, please don't say it's a good thing because she's cooking three meals. Anyway, that's a, a side note. But so Daniel's sort of been just ruminating for a very long time and I believe God has a powerful word for our church and I believe it is such a word in season for where we're at as as a city, as a state, as a nation. So we're going to get stuck into it. So first and foremost, what do we need to know about the book of Daniel? It's a tale of two kingdoms. Daniel is not just a mythological figure that we read about. Daniel is a real person who lived in real times, in a real nation, and all of this stuff actually happened. So Babylon, where Daniel is exiled to, is modern-day Iraq, all right? Daniel was uh, a child of Israel. At this point, Israel has been overthrown by the Assyrian power. Remember how we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? So Assyria in 722 BC uh, overthrew the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was left. And in 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar from the land of Babylon um, comes to Judah. And he, this is after the Battle of Carchemish. So those of you who know your history where uh, Babylon defeated Egypt and King Necho II, just a quick little history lesson for those of you who are interested in this stuff. And after winning that battle quite convincingly, Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon just turn south and just go vroom and just invade the land of of Judah. And in 605 is when this stuff takes place. 605 BC, real time, real events, real people. And what happens is the the nation of the the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Judah uh, succumbs to Babylon. And as is the Babylonian practice, what they do is they take the nobility, they take the leaders, they take the significant figures of that city, that nation, and they exile them back to their own land. And we need to understand that Daniel is of nobility. He is of the royal line of Judah. So Daniel actually has royal blood in him. And because of that, as a 14-year-old, 14 years old, he is exiled to the land of Babylon. And what we discover later on is that Nebuchadnezzar puts a couple of pseudo-kings in place over Judah and they end up rebelling and uh, eventually in 586 or 587, depending which historian you choose to believe, the, uh, 
the nation of Judah is thrown down and the whole entirety of the people are brought into exile. So that's our historical context. You with me? That's the physical context, but it's so much more than that. Because as Brian said a couple of weeks ago, and I loved what he said, he said, the Bible is not just about what did happen, the Bible is about what always happens. And what we see here in the book of Daniel, yes, it's a tale of two physical kingdoms, but so much more than that is a tale of two spiritual kingdoms. And we recognize that Babylon, biblically, is, yes, a physical city, a physical people, but more than that, it is a spirit There is the spirit of Babylon. If you don't believe me, turn to Revelation chapter 16, 17, 18. At the end of days, that prophetic vision is talking about the great city of Babylon and how she will be thrown down and destroyed once for all. Uh, In Zechariah 5.11, it talks about how Babylon is the place of wickedness, the place of self-sufficiency. And we know that from Genesis 11, at the tower of Babel, in a place called Shinar, which in Daniel chapter 1 verse 2 is actually the very same word that we in English translate Babylonia. What happens at the Tower of Babel in the place of Shinar, what happens? Humanity rallies and we build a great tower to our own strength. So the spirit of Babylon actually is the spirit that begins in Genesis and finishes in Revelation and is all through the Scriptures. And therefore, it's actually all through our world today. It is not just something that was and happened. No, the spirit of Babylon has been at work through all of human history, trying to get humanity to glorify self instead of bow the knee to a saviour. And this is what the spirit of Babylon does. And we see that at the Tower of Babel. It's about me, my self-worship. Actually, we see it in the Garden of Eden where it's about you become your own God. You determine what is right and wrong. You make your own rules. You don't bow to a God, the God of heaven. No, you become that God. It's the same spirit. And it's been at work all through human history. We see it in civilizations. We see it in Nazi Germany. We see it in the, you know, the, the Marxism. We see it just maybe in a little state called South Australia who's trying to make particular decisions at the moment around life and determining what is life and is not life. We see this spirit of Babylon at work in social media, the glorification of self, the idolisation of self. We see it at work everywhere, the spirit of Babylon. And as we look through This text, my great prayer is that it will become more and more and more clear to all of us that we would see the spirit of Babylon at work in our world and we would learn how to defend against it. Because fundamentally, this book is a tale of two kingdoms. It is a story about the spirit of Babylon versus the spirit of God. The spirit of Babylon versus the spirit of God. And we see the spirit of God at work in the life of a young man named Daniel And it is so very, very, very good. So, with all of that said, let's have a look at Daniel. What does the Lord want to say to us? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to work our way through verse by verse, basically, for this entire 12 chapters of Daniel. So we're going to read. I'm not just going to read the whole thing, but we'll just go verse by verse and we'll see what God is saying. So let's start. Let's read verse 1 to 2 together. 
Daniel's training in Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered, everyone say, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, so Shinar, and put in the treasure house of his God. Fascinatingly so, what we see right here in this little moment is that uh, this question, really, why did the Lord deliver Israel into the hand of the Babylonians? Why did the Lord deliver Judah into the hand of Babylon? If Judah is God's people, why would God let this happen? Have you ever wondered that? If Judah is God's chosen race, why does God allow bad stuff to happen to good people? Why does God allow a nation like Babylon to come in and overthrow his people, Judah? Because it says that the Lord delivered. And if you go to Leviticus chapter 25, what you'll see is actually that when God chose Israel, when God ordained Israel as his people and he gave them rules of living. He said, this is going to be good for you. This is how you should um, live in my kingdom. And one of those things that he did, he said that I'm going to give you land and you're going to have to have a Sabbath year, which means every seventh year you would give the land complete rest. So you don't farm it, you don't do anything on it, you just let that land rest. And the premise is that in the seventh year of Sabbath, you actually are trusting me for your provision. So we say, jeepers, you know, these laws that you make, God, why can't I just do it? It's not about the law. It's about the faith behind the law that says, do you trust me to meet your needs? Do you trust me to provide for you? And Israel just didn't. And the Bible tells us that for 490 years, they didn't abide by the Sabbath. And so there's a prophetic word that's given to the nation over and over and over and over and over again, saying, if you don't start following me, if you don't start walking in obedience, then I am going to hand you over to the Babylonians. And we also see in 2 Kings chapter 20, where King Hezekiah is on the throne. I hope you're enjoying a bit of a history lesson this morning. Hezekiah has envoys from Babylon coming to his kingdom. And what Hezekiah does is he just shows them the, the entirety of his treasure house. He just welcomes the Babylonians in and he says, look at what I've accumulated. The spirit of pride. And in that moment, Isaiah actually prophesies over Hezekiah something we see in Isaiah 39 verse 6 and 7. He says, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Your own sons shall be taken away and be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isn't that fascinating that here's this prophecy years and years and years before actually becomes complete fact. Read the book of Isaiah. Oh my giddy aunt. There are some prophecies in there that will make your jaw hit the floor at how accurate they are. So fundamentally what's happened is Judah has turned its back on God and because Judah has turned its back on God, God hands them over to the nation of Babylon, not because he's 
necessarily wanting to punish them, but fundamentally because by through that discipline, they actually turn back to him. The whole purpose is, is that Judah would actually recognize their need for God. They would turn back to God. And Babylon is actually the tool through which he pursues his people. Babylon is the tool through which he pursues his people. Okay, so with all of that backdrop, I want to show us a few things. What do we see in Daniel? What do we see about the spirit of Babylon and the heart of the spirit of Babylon that we need to be aware of in this text, but actually in the world in which we live today? And then what do we see about the spirit of God? If this is a tale of two kingdoms, then we're going to see the uprising of two kingdoms. We're going to see the fruit of two kingdoms. We're going to see one kingdom pushing a particular direction. And we're going to see the spirit of God, the kingdom of God, pushing in a different direction and glorifying himself. So the first thing I want you to see from verse 1 and 2 is that the spirit of Babylon wants to reign supreme in your life and in this world. But the spirit of God actually does reign supreme. You see, the spirit of Babylon... In Nebuchadnezzar, in the nation of Babylon, they come and they're trying to besiege everything. They're trying to take over the world. They're trying to be the God of every kingdom. They're trying to overthrow every kingdom because that's what the spirit of Babylon does. It tries to conquer things. But in verse 2, Daniel makes it clear. He says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The word Lord there is not Yahweh. Daniel specifically uses a different word. The word is Adonai. Everyone say Adonai. And Adonai means this, owner, ruler, or sovereign. Owner, ruler, or sovereign. Daniel is saying to us that there is a spirit that seeks to be Lord and seeks to be king and is trying to conquer. However, there is a God in heaven who is Lord and will always be Lord. And everything happens under his sovereignty and under his kingship, that the kings of the earth will come and go. There'll be kings who sit on thrones. There'll be rulers who sit in political houses and try and make decisions. There'll be people who constantly are coming into positions of authority, but all of them are under the headship and the lordship and the authority of Christ because he is the king of kings and the lord of lords he is the alpha and the omega he is the first and the last and he always will be and a day is coming when every knee will bow to the lordship and the sovereignty of Christ the king and Daniel wants us to know right at the beginning just let's just get this straight friends Because you're about to read about this great king, probably the greatest ancient king in terms of his own wealth and glory, I suppose, that the world has ever known. And he wants us to know that, ah, no, 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 he sits under the lordship of the king of kings. And his name is Jesus Christ, as we're going to find in the great prophecies of Daniel towards the end. Fascinating. The spirit of Babylon wants to reign supreme. He wants to reign supreme in our world, but the spirit of God does reign supreme. And we have that hope, friends. Amen. We have that hope. Number two, let's read verse three to seven. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Number two, the spirit of Babylon wants to dismantle true identity but the Spirit of God wants to strengthen you in your true identity. The Spirit of of Babylon wants to dismantle true identity. The Spirit of God wants to strengthen you in your true identity. Let's have a look at this. First and foremost, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring to the king's service some of the Israelites. Now, what you need to say in a different version, that actually says, chief of the eunuchs. So if he's chief of the eunuchs and he is now over Daniel and his friends, what does that say about Daniel and his friends? Sometimes we miss this when we read this. It means that they're eunuchs. It means as a 14-year-old, it's not just Rowan's face, just that he's like, it's awfully quiet in here. Because some of you are crossing your legs and you think, I don't want to, what? This means that as a 14-year-old boy, Daniel, who wasn't the one who was disobedient for 490 years, wasn't the one who did anything wrong particularly. He's a, a young man who's faithfully followed the Lord of Lords his whole life. And now his nation has been destroyed because of his father's and his father's father's sins. And now he is the one who is being made a eunuch. That is what you think it is. It's a horrific thing. And poor old Daniel, this is a procedure performed in 605 BC. There's no surgical gowns being used, friends. Before Panadol, before morphine. Daniel and his friends are now eunuchs. And I want you to see something. This is what the spirit of Babylon does. This is what the spirit of Babylon seeks to do, particularly with men. And again, I thought Brian preached this fantastically a couple of weeks ago, where the spirit of Babylon is constantly seeking to emasculate the men of God. It is constantly seeking to disempower the role of men in the kingdom. I've had great privilege to preach around various places. And some of the funnest places to preach is actually going to little country towns, going to Pinaroo and Lamaroo and all the other roos. And you go and preach and there's maybe eight, 15, sometimes if you're lucky, 20 people and they're usually over the age of 60 and they just sit there and they watch me get all excited and yell at them and then afterwards we have a cup of tea and a scone. And it's awesome because these churches need our help. And this year, our hope is that we'll raise up preachers and send preachers to help these churches. But one of the most fascinating things about that, when you look at these churches and churches all over the world that are dying and struggling, the men sit around the edges and do nothing. And the women are the ones doing everything. And there's something in that deeply spiritual. There's something about the role of a man and the spirit of Babylon. When a man actually leads, and Brian preached this the other week, when he said 93% of the time, When a man comes to faith, a father comes to faith, the whole family follows. 
There's something about that, isn't there? And I think the enemy knows that. And so the spirit of Babylon is seeking to emasculate the men of God and seeking to take away the roles that we have. We see this all through the world. We see this right now, even in society, where it's not just about now emasculating the role of men, but it's actually literally turning against gender and saying what we've always known scientifically to be true, that there is man and there is woman, which God told us in Genesis 1 and 2, that there is man and there is woman, and that's how God made it. All he's saying is, actually, no, there's not. Actually, you're just it. And what it's doing is it's, it's destroying identity. It's ripping identity out of the heart of humanity. And when identity is stripped from the heart of humanity, what, le what is left is brokenness, confusion, and destruction. Look at our world. Look at our world right now. There is brokenness. There is confusion. There is destruction. And when we actually investigate the stacks of stats of people who are undergoing transgender surgeries and things like that, it's actually more of them end up committing suicide than beforehand in their confusion. It's actually causing more harm and more pain to them. And well, people will say we're being bigoted or religious or whatever they want to use, but actually, no, there is truth. And in love and with gentleness and with respect and with love, embracing these people and saying, we love you, but you are who God has made you. You are not what the world is saying about you. You are what God is saying about you. He has given you a true identity. He spoke it at the beginning when he created. He said, male and female. Male and female, I made you. And you are not your sexuality. You are a child of God. You are created in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, the scripture says. Fearfully and wonderfully made. That means he actually wrapped his hands around us. And this is another way where the enemy, the spirit of Babylon, is trying to dismantle true identity. Is this, this teaching around the fact that everyone's just a random haphazard accident that happened when two random dust particles collided. No one talks about where the dust came from in the first place. And that actually humanity is nothing more than just the evolution of a few cells. No, humanity is created by the hands of a living God and breathed into the breath of life by the living God himself. And that therefore gives us our true identity. And that gives us hope and that gives us security and that gives us a firm foundation on which we can stand. And that doesn't mean that we don't have thoughts and desires and sometimes confusion, but we actually have something to put our feet on and say, I will fight against that. I spoke during the week to a bunch of young adults around some of this stuff and I talked about isn't it fascinating with, with a, an eating disorder like anorexia, someone will come up and in that space they'll say, I identify as morbidly obese. What do we do in that case? We look at them, we look at their physiology and we say, oh my dear, you are not morbidly obese. You are very unwell. You are extremely thin and so we recognise what's going on. It's a mental thing and we get, you need help. But when it comes to sexuality, someone who is physically, genetically, clearly male, and they say, I'm identifying as this, we say, oh, well, you must be. As opposed to saying, no, 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 something's not quite right. Let's help you. Let me love you. Let me show you how God made you and his intention for you in your life. I know that this is controversial and I know that it's offensive, but it's truth. 
And the spirit of Babylon wants to dismantle true identity, but the spirit of God wants to strengthen us in our true identity, which is why the church needs to start being a fraction more vocal about these things. It's not about us being proud and boastful and talking down to people. It's about us coming and serving with open hands and loving hearts and saying, I want to help you because this is destroying you. Let me show you the love of God in Christ and what he did for you and how he suffered for you. And it's hard for you to wrap you up and bring you home and bring you fundamentally peace, which is so absent in this generation. What we also see as a part of this dismantling of identity, watch this, the king assigned them to the daily table and they were to be trained, everyone say trained, for three years. 14, 15 for three years. And they were to go into the king's house in the ways of Babylon and they were just bombarded with this is what you should think. This is what you should think. Do you know how difficult that is when you're immersed in a particular culture and you are just being hit over and over and over and over again? Just ask our 14, 15, 16 and 17 year olds who spend over 40 hours a week on social media That's the stats. 42 hours a week is the average for a 14-year-old on social media. 42 hours. And in those 42 hours, what's filling their eyes and filling their soul is that you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Envy this. You should be like this. You should be looking this way. You should be acting this way. You should be believing this thought. And now it's being pushed and just, they're, they're being trained in the ways of Babylon. All the more reason for the church to stand up because here's the great thing as we look on. Daniel and his friends did not buy into the lie of the spirit of Babylon. How did they stand true? The way they stood true is because they were firmly grounded and planted in their identity because they knew who they were before they entered Babylon. And when we know who we are, it doesn't matter if we're completely surrounded. They can say what they want to say, but that's not going to stick. Because the Word of God, the truth of God has taken root in their heart. Parents, we need to train our children in the way they should go. We need to speak about the things that the world is speaking about. So often we're scared because we're like, oh, that's a bit of a controversial topic. I'm not sure if I can handle that. So we don't talk about this stuff with our kids. Let me tell you, Babylon's telling them. Babylon is telling them. And they're telling them much earlier than we think they are because we see kids in grade four and five with these phones. Just coming up to them and saying, look at this. They're being bombarded. They're actually entering the school of Babylon before Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah ever did. We need to train them in the way they should go. We need to teach them the word of God so that they will not depart from it. So that they can be in Babylon but not of Babylon. Amen. Quick other thing I want to show you in this from verse 7. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, these guys... Hananiah, Mishael, the chief gave, official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel, for those of you who know this, means God is my judge. Can we put that up? This is what Daniel means. God is my judge. Belteshazzar means Bel protects his life. Bel being the God of Babylon. So the word spoken over Daniel's life from God, the Spirit of God says, says, I am the one who is Lord over you. 
But what happens is when they enter Babylon, Babylon wants to put a new name on them and put a new identity in them. It says, no, 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 this is what you've got to chase after for meaning and purpose. And then we see Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. But Shadrach means the command of Aku, which is another one of their gods. Another name, it's saying, no, no, we're going to take the nature of God off of you and try and convince you of the nature of Babylon. Mishael means who is, what is God, which means there is no God like the God of Israel. Meshach means who is, what is Aku, meaning there is no God like the God of Aku. Can you see the deception and the lie that's being spoken over their life? Azariah means Yahweh will help. Abednego means servant of Nebo, another one of their gods. Can you see the lie, church? I'm asking you a question. Can you see the lie? This is what the spirit of Babylon does. It comes to put a new name on us. And that is so powerful. If you talk to a bunch, particularly high school kids who are in this formative age, Daniel's 15 years old, 14 years old. And when these names are spoken over them, that is a, it's got such weight and power. But when you come into a space and you begin to proclaim the true name, the new nature that God has given them, it is so freeing and releasing. I've seen young people weeping on their knees because they're like, I never knew that that was the name God had given me. Because the Spirit of Babylon wants to strip and dismantle identity, but the Spirit of God wants to strengthen us in our true identity. You are not who the world says you are. You are not the product of your father's sins or your mother's sins. You are not even the product of your sins. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You can walk in the power of His grace and His mercy and you are free because whom the sun sets free, they are free indeed. Free indeed. We need to proclaim that new name over our children. Verse 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So if they looked a bit skinnier, he would die. That shows the type of person Nebuchadnezzar was. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Azariah. I always say that like five different ways. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. The Daniel diet, friends. Vegan before vegan was cool. <laughs> so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Number three, the spirit of Babylon wants to seduce us to compromise. But the Spirit of God wants to strengthen us in conviction. You know, Joe's grandfather, many years ago, just after his wife passed away, made a chocolate cake. And instead of putting cocoa in, he pulled out the grave ox. Now, a cup of gravy in your cake... Ain't a great idea. So we made this cake, Joe tells me, and they, you know, he cut it open, he tried to take a mouthful, and could he eat it? No, because it's disgusting, because no one wants gravy cake. 
Gravy cake is a horrible thing. A little bit of compromise. You could look at it and go, it looks fine. It's brown. It looks chocolatey. It looks delicious. It's good and it's pleasing and it's desirable to the eye. That's fine. Let's just embrace it. But what happens is, is if you put a little bit of gravy in your cake, it's going to ruin the whole thing. It doesn't matter that there's sugar, eggs, flour, milk and whatever else you put in a cake. It doesn't matter what's in that cake. As long as there's gravy in the cake, everything's spoilt. And the spirit of Babylon wants us just to put a bit of gravy in there. Just to put a bit of gravy in the cake of God's purpose and plan and true nature for you. And so we take a little bit of gravy, but he don't realise that in the little bit of gravy, it's actually poisoning the whole thing. And so the spirit of Babylon wants us to compromise, but the spirit of God wants to strengthen us in our conviction. I love the language that it says, Daniel resolved. Everyone say resolve. He resolved not to defile himself. How good is that? Like this, he's 15, 14 years old, depending on how many months have passed by in this place. Do you understand the courage and the conviction that that takes? The king would have his servant's head. Could you imagine what he would do to Daniel? He's already castrated him. But Daniel has conviction. This is what the Spirit of God brings, conviction. You know, the the march we did yesterday, if anyone saw the news, what I found so interesting about that news report, when they they asked the the people who were uh, pro-choice, like the people pushing this bill, the number one argument they gave was, well, this brings us in alignment with the rest of the nation. This makes us like everybody else. I'd literally, three days before, had this revelation of reading this text. And I was like, ah, there it is. The spirit of Babylon. Compromise. It just be like everybody else. Just settle down. What's the big deal? That's effectively what they're saying. Everyone else is doing it. Let's do it. No. Everyone else was eating the meat and the wine and there's nothing wrong with meat and wine. Like that's not the issue. Daniel's saying, I resolve not to defile myself. I will speak the language of Babylon, but I will not eat its fruit. And this is true for us that we need to learn what it is to have conviction in the midst of our culture. Yes, we will speak the language of the Babylonians. We will embrace, we will get to know what is going on. We will be well informed. We will not be naive or ignorant. We will know their arguments back to front so that we have the wisdom of God to speak into that space, but we will not compromise. I can't help but think of Keith Green right now. If you haven't read that book, read it. No compromise. No compromise. He's a man who had no compromise and goodness gracious me, did he have impact in the world. No compromise. Do you know the pleasures of Babylon pale in comparison to the purpose of God? The pleasures of Babylon pale in comparison to the purpose of God. Daniel knew that at such a young age. I wonder if we know that. God, our prayer is that you would fix that in our hearts. The pleasures of Babylon will pale in comparison to the purpose of God. Number four, verse 17 to 20. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. So three years have passed. The king talked 
with them and he found none equal, none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. Friends, the spirit of Babylon craves power through the concealment of truth. But the Spirit of God displays power through the revelation of truth. Oh, that, I actually went, oh, when I wrote that down because I was talking with Ben about it and we were sitting there going, oh, that's good. The Spirit of Babylon seeks power by controlling truth. We see this again. Look at the kingdoms of the earth. Go back through history. It's all about hide truth, hide what is real, and we'll get power and control. No, no, the Spirit of God reveals truth and in so doing displays his might and power. And as we read Daniel, you're going to see time and time again, this man of God, this young man of God comes before the king. No one else can answer the question. And he's like, I can't answer the question. I'm just a man, that's all I am. But the Spirit of God in him rises up and brings about a revelation of truth that leaves everyone gobsmacked, thereby displaying his power. And again, in our generation, in the world in which we live, this is what we have. We have truth. We have the Word of God. We have the capacity to start being a voice of truth. And instead of feeling guilty about it or feeling like we should compromise, no, we should start declaring truth and living by truth and we will see the power of God revealed on the earth and we'll see transformation and change. We will see all these things. God's good. I've got to get moving. So we're going to go to our last point. I've got so much more to say. All right, verse 20, last point. Band, you can come up. Verse 20 through 21, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than the whole magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Watch this. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Friends, Cyrus wasn't a Babylonian. The spirit of Babylon is temporal, but the spirit of God is eternal. Daniel outlived Babylon. Daniel outlived the nation of Babylon. When the, the Spirit of God is eternal, despite everything that Babylon had, despite all their wealth and all their majesty and everything that they had going for them, they did not survive, outlive Daniel. The Spirit of God was true in him. Daniel came to Babylon as like a 14, 15 year old boy. He left Babylon in his late 80s in chains, outliving that entire nation. And here's the promise of God to us is that he was faithful all the way through. The Bible has nothing negative to say about Daniel. The, I'm, Daniel's not perfect. He's human. He would have made mistakes. But there is not one word in the book of Daniel, anywhere in history that records Daniel falling, Daniel making a mistake. He doesn't do what David did and sleep with someone he shouldn't have. He doesn't do what Moses did and kill someone he shouldn't have. He doesn't do any of these things. He's faithful and true whilst living his entire life without the temple, living his entire life without the sacrificial system, living his entire life under, 
you know, the headship or kingship of this foreign God, yet He stayed true to the true God. Why? Because the Spirit of God was in Him. Because the Spirit of God is eternal, because the Spirit of God is trustworthy, because the Spirit of God is faithful, because the Spirit of God will not compromise, because the Spirit of God comes through time and time and time again. Daniel suffered so much, yet in his suffering, his God was faithful and he remained faithful. And there is a promise to us in this place, particularly for our kids, for like I see a lot of parents in this room, for our kids. And I've held fast to this this week because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I worry about my kids. Maybe none of you do, but you're more righteous than I. I'll never forget when we first got pregnant, when Joe got pregnant. Why do we say we? Because Joe got pregnant. I'll never forget, she's pregnant with Bailey and one of the, uh, a mother of a, a kid that I was coaching at the time walked up and she said, congratulations, you're now going to worry every single day for the rest of your life. And I said, thank you. But there is, there is, there is a worry that sometimes in me where I look at my kids and say, God, how are they going to... I just long for them to be a Daniel. I long for them in their late 80s, even if they're carried off with chains to be executed as Daniel was, I just long for them to stay faithful and true to a holy God. And sometimes I worry and I say, God, how will that happen in this generation? And I've been so encouraged this week, so encouraged that my job, yes, is to train them in the way they should go. But fundamentally, all I've got is prayer. All I've got is the Spirit of God and His promise to me that His faithfulness will dure for a thousand generations. So I'm like... Okay, I need to pray more. I don't know about you. I need to pray more for my children. I've had this great conviction. If that's what I've got, well, then I better start doing it more and more and more. And as a community, we better start praying for our cherubs who are up there right now, who's at the back right now, who's in this room right now, to start praying over our young people that they would remain faithful, over our youth, that they'd not only come to faith, but they'd persevere in faith, that they would run the race with what? perseverance, not run the race with weakness going up and down and falling left and right. That might be the case, but they would persevere through all of that knowing that the Spirit of God is eternal and that He has them. I love that fact that Daniel remains faithful. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand up on that note. We're going to stand stand to our feet. How much time have we got? I've gone way over again. 9.50. Oh, all right. Let's pray. And we're gonna I just if you're that way inclined, stretch out your hand to our kids. Because this is I just felt this very strongly this week that it's time to pray over our next generation. Father God, we come now as parents, as uncles, as spiritual aunties. We pray over the next generation. We pray over the next generation of Your people, Lord God, that they would be faithful and true. And Father, whether we have kids or do not have kids of our own, You have called us to be leaders of the next generation. And You've given many in this room spiritual children that we get to invest in and sow into and pray for. Father, lay children in our heart to pray for that they would walk truly in Your ways all the days of their life. That Babylon might be able to speak something over them, but it wouldn't get in them. 
that they would be able to walk in truth, that their hearts would be guarded, that they would have on them a helmet of salvation. They would have on them a breastplate of righteousness. They would have on them a belt of truth. They would have on them the sandals of peace. God, that You would fix them with a shield of faith from a young age, that when the fiery darts of the enemy come against them, they can put that shield of faith up and say, not on my life. Put in them a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that they would know their true identity, that they would walk a life of conviction without compromise. And most of all, that they would be surrendered to Your will, that they would know that the pleasures of Babylon always pale in comparison to the purpose of God. We love You, Lord. We give You praise. We give You honour and we give You glory. And we worship You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Daniel is a tale of two kingdoms. That's what we're going to see over the next 11 weeks after this, a tale of two kingdoms. But let me close with this. Mark Driscoll writes of Daniel, and I just thought this is such a great way to end. Jesus is the greater Daniel. Both went from the glory of royalty to the humility of poverty and returned to glory and royalty. Both went from their home to enter into a world that was dark and opposed to them and all that they believed. Both were filled with the Holy Spirit. Both travelled with a few faithful friends through adversity and hardship. Both had tremendous wisdom for making ethical decisions under duress. Both were given incredible authority, helping rule over the kingdom of Babylon, Daniel and heaven, Jesus. Neither married a woman or fathered, fathered children. Both were forced to walk to their doom in chains. Both stopped to pray for wisdom throughout their arduous journey throughout the world. The Bible has nothing bad to say about either man. Both men were wrongly accused and arrested on false charges, even though the political leaders overseeing the process declared them innocent. Both men were placed in a tomb or a pit with a stone covering the entrance from which they were both miraculously delivered alive. Both men had exemplary character, humbly stood against demonic evil and suffered greatly for their loyalty. Today, both men are together and Daniel is serving King Jesus in the Kingdom of God. How good is that? Daniel's a tale of two kingdoms. And I don't know about you, but gee, I'm excited about what He's going to teach us this season. God bless you. Let's worship our great God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.